This is the final episode of this series of The Culture Chain. In this, I talk to Janine Fletcher, the producer of these podcasts, about what rose to the surface for both of us. Janine is a choreographer, performer and movement director working across theatre, dance and cabaret. She creates performances for both indoor and outdoor spaces and works with a range of choreographic processes and dance styles. Alongside her creative practice, Janine is currently Assistant Producer, Artist Development at Southeast Dance. So Janine, hello. Hello. This is fun. Um, We have re-listened to the podcast and we have spent some time extracting what we think are the most uh, sort of exciting or interesting or resonant discussions in there. And we've decided to play a little game of ping pong, um, sharing with each other what came to the surface for us. Is that correct? That is correct. Lovely. Okay, so the three themes we identified were touring and audience development, uh, number two, communication, and number three, the sectors need to diversify. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's start with touring and audience development. Tell me what's your first point? The first thing that stuck out for me was something I think it was Phil said in the producer's podcast, the notion of who builds your reputation versus who wants your work. And that really stuck with me as a maker, knowing I still have thoughts of thinking, oh, I should put my work here because Mm -hmm. that's where I might get reviewed or if they like my work, it means X, Y, Z, rather than is there an audience for my work there? And I think that's a really important Yeah, absolutely. I've worked with some young artists who basically think success equals performing at the place. Mm. And that actually maybe their work isn't suitable for that. Maybe the people they want to speak to don't go to the place. But there is a sort of hierarchy of of Mm. venue, isn't there? A status there. Uh, I think it's a really interesting point. Um, Yeah. Finding the right place for the right work. Yeah. And also potentially some venues and organisations might need to be active in letting go of that status. It's not just the artist. It's the other way around as well. Ah, okay. Okay. What about you? What thoughts? Well, I suppose my uh, my most overarching um, reflection really is about the idea of redefining notions of success. And mm-hmm. um, I think uh, the system needs to do that. And I think individual artists need to, need to do that. So perhaps it used to be the case that, you know, the more gigs you had, the better. It didn't really matter. Um, you know, you, you didn't really have the opportunity to, to do too much work with audiences there at the site of each venue you just got the gig turned up noticed all the posters under the you know the side <laughs> as you walked in um but but breadth was the goal and actually I find it really much more exciting now to think about depth so maybe you aren't performing in all these different regions maybe there isn't a 20 date tour maybe there's a six date tour and maybe it's just in your region but actually maybe you're having a proper conversation proper impact mm. leaving a proper legacy and that that's what success should feel like inside mm. to an artist. And also that's what the funding bodies can support because mm. I'm not quite sure they've caught up with that yet either. So there's something there about, um, yeah, that success is depth, mm. not breadth. Yeah. And that really speaks to me in terms of the being able to go back somewhere. Yeah. And not just being a yeah, one-stop. I'm there and then and maybe yeah. don't go back there. But you... Yeah, you start to know that area, so yeah. you start to think about them when you're making and wondering Absolutely. if they're part of the next piece. So that already is, a, is audience development, isn't it? Yeah. It's developing this relationship. Okay, ping pong back to you. Uh, the next one for me was 
in the funders podcast, Denise said something that really struck me, which is that she recognises there is more competition and less dates. Mm. There is less slots for dance performances and there are more, not just independent artists, but quite specifically she noted bigger companies with their second company and then MA students also Mm. on tour, that there is a lot of competition and that there is also a real lack of commissioning money. So all of that affects how you can make something and who can see it. Mm. Yeah, and we talked about commissioning money, didn't we? Yes, versus seed funding. Yes. Let's not <laughs> call it a commission unless it's over how much, Denise? I reckon £10,000 Okay, for me. it isn't a commission unless it's ten grand <laughs> or more. Other than that, it's seed funding. I mean, there has to be a figure there, whether it's ten grand or not. I think that's a really decent point don't you that mm. we can't we can't call 500 quid or a grand commissioning money yeah okay we've heard it here <laughs> what about you um okay well i um was really i'm really interested in how artists are de- creating and delivering wraparound activities and participation mm. opportunities um i've worked on lots of wonderful shows that do um you know really important work in terms of involving local communities with the process and the product that feel incredibly exciting and i know it's problematic and um can be quite controversial and it's difficult it's it's incredibly expensive and and time consuming developing the relationships is really difficult um making sure that that's an ethical relationship in terms of Mm. how people are paid and how people are treated is really difficult and incredibly important and also aftercare is you know we don't just arrive give them an amazing experience or not um and uh, and then leave them and all of these things um cost a lot of money take a lot of time require a lot of skill i think people don't always have the knowledge that they need to do Mm. that so there's something about um education there as well um and that in order to generate audiences in order to develop meaningful conversations with uh, communities of meaning we need to put the work into this and we need to put care into it it's an incredibly exciting opportunity um and it perhaps the future of the art form depends upon it but we need to do it carefully mm. and ethically mm. uh okay any more from you um there was one more which was uh just a personal interest in the different models of presenting or Mm. touring work. Mm. So as well as working at South East Dance, being an artist and performer, Mm. I've been lucky enough to be involved in a few different models. So one of the things I'm performing in at the moment is a piece by the choreographer Carl J. Lewin and the composer Matteo Fargin. And Carl is based in Scotland, so he has funding from Creative Scotland to tour the piece of work. Mm But, and uh, here's a little disclaimer, I have not looked at the application, so I don't know the exact process. This is what I believe it to be, that as an artist with a piece of work, you can apply for funds to tour your work, but you don't have to have like 10 confirmed dates. You can have started the conversations with some of the venues, but you don't need the same sort of detail you need for Mm. arts applications Mm. here to tour. So that a lot of the risk is taken out for the artist and the venues because you might not have started some of those conversations yet. So if you don't get it, it's not like you're dropping 10 shows. Mm. 
And if you get it, you might be going to someone, hey, we've got this money, this is our time frame, would you like it? And it means they can take a risk because the money's already there on the table as opposed to everything's funding dependent. Um, And also Colchester Art Centre used to run uh, evenings called Wonderful Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. And I think they've dropped the title now, but the idea is I performed there with a solo piece. I was paid a fee, a proper fee. The artist could pay what they want. The sorry, the audience could pay what they wanted, and he said you might get one man and his dog. And I had thirty people in a mm-hmm. town who didn't know me come and watch quite an experimental piece of dance. Right. And Cheryl from Quarterhouse also brought that up that she has pay what you decide, and I do think yes, that helps the audience a... take a punt on something they wouldn't maybe yeah. go to. If only we had a government that would support more as <laughs> pay yeah. what you decide. What about um, you? Well, just to, just to pick up on that for a sec, I think this idea from Creative Scotland is extremely interesting um, because there's, there's two things that negates that I can think of. One is that actually people set up, um, you know, the structure of a tour, the structure of a show, don't get the funding and then end up making it anyway. Mm. So people tend to work for free or for, or for not yep. a, the right amount of money and the right amount of time, and therefore the quality of work gets jeopardised, which I think is really problematic, but it happens quite a lot. And the other is that they do get the funding um, and then they have to start work really quickly because the timescales are always quite problematic in terms of mm. how long it takes to get the funding, how long it takes to, you know, that they've booked the gig so mm. far in advance, whereas in the model you're talking about, it feels like... There's, there's there's more trust there that you get the money and then make the work and then go look for the venues at the same time and it just feels more um, doable I suppose mm. and that the the risks are are lower. Mm. Well, I get sorry, I maybe wasn't clear in this, but with that specific piece in Creative Scotland, the piece was already made. Okay, so okay, you get from, okay. you make the piece okay. and then you tour it, but it sounds like the touring is a bit quicker. Yes. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Well, yeah, okay, and that relates to my other, my final point, which is really just about trust, mm. um, and how I was really, you know, I really enjoyed hearing all of the parties, the artists, producers, um, and the programmers talk about trust and talk about, hey, come on, let's work together, and that sooner mm. we can develop a relationship, the deeper it can be. I want to be on your side. I'll try to support you, even if I can't necessarily book the work. Um, uh, so yes, I think. Developing relationships and developing trust, you know, in order for that to happen, people have to take a risk and, you know, get in touch. Yes. I guess. Yeah. So those were our top points. Yes, and I've got some actions oh, that we've pulled out. We like actions, Janine. They're my favourite things ever. Um, so some of the actions we pulled out were asking local venues or organisations to work together to help artists who are upscaling work in their region. So as an example, you might be performing one piece in Folkestone and you've taken the piece there or different pieces a few times, but now you want to make a bigger piece Mm -hmm. of work and Folkestone doesn't have the venue for it, but somewhere else in Kent does. So how could those two organisations work together to bring some of that audience with the artist? I thought that was great. Yeah. Um, something for artists, which was to ask themselves, what does touring mean to me? And ask yourself, why are you touring this piece of work? Two things that sit alongside each other, which I really like. For artists to research if their work fits in a particular venue or organisation and then tell that organisation how it fits. And like 
likewise for organisations to be active in researching artists working in the context they are interested in, so that you are, yeah, you're seeking and learning as opposed to maybe only receiving. Um, artists invite venues to see your work in development, as you pointed mm-hmm. out, start the conversation earlier mm-hmm. and let them know what your long-term time frame is. And venues, please be upfront about your own processes and timeline. Great. Okay. Um, if I'm allowed to pick one of those, <laughs> I think uh, as certainly as a dramaturg, the most important thing is just n- knowing why you are making your work and who you want to share it with Mm -hmm. and having that at the heart of your practice and the heart of everything you do every day in the studio is going to make the work stronger and it's going to make sure you get more gigs and that people come to see it. That feels to me incredibly important. Nice. That leads us nicely onto the next section. Does it? It does, because the next section is about communication. And what I pulled from the podcast is that it's multi-communication it's artists communicating to venues organizations and venues communicating to the wider sector and artists about who they are what they do what they're interested in how we all communicate to audiences and then how funders and artists and everyone in between communicate about the work were there any things that came up for you yeah i think um I think you just described that very well. And it, and it does go in, in every direction, doesn't it? One very concrete example, um, which I've uh, sort of come across a lot in, in my time working in this sector, is this feeling that um, perhaps programmers and maybe funders, I think, could be uh, more honest about their response to either an email they've received proposing a show or indeed a show they've seen, perhaps at premiere or somewhere along the way. And that actually it would save everybody a lot of heartache and time if people could be really clear about their response to it. So, and we talked with this about with the programmers about this, didn't we? That um, actually, I think it would just be amazing if they had a policy, what I might call a yes, no, maybe policy, so that actually, so let's say I email somebody and say, look, here's my show, that quite quickly they reply with either yes, no, or maybe. So yes, we would like to look at booking this work one day. No guarantee, but it's definitely of interest. Brilliant, okay. Now I'm going to court you and, and keep giving you information, invite you to sharings, etc., etc. No, uh, this work is not for us and our audiences. Sorry. Um, perhaps they can add a because, da 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 um, And they themselves talked about developing response methods that mm-hmm. I think would be a really useful thing to, for them to think about. Um, and then the maybe. This work might be of interest to us, especially if we can think about targeting this audience or if you Mm. can tailor your images to to speak of this, whatever, so that there's that conversation um, and hope. You know, Mm. there is a reason to continue this conversation because, indeed, we might one day programme it and that they shouldn't be scared of saying no because Mm. it helps people, it saves a lot of time and, yeah, saves a lot of pain. Yeah. That's my number one. What's your number one? My number one was the exploration of organisational memory. Mm. So I think people feel that relationships with artists are held by specific staff members as opposed to the organisation. And uh, Abby from Leela Dance pointed out that on some occasions she's had a really long-term relationship with someone and they've left the organisation. And no one's been told and you just get an out of office when you go to contact them. But then also your relationship hasn't been passed on to that organisation. 
sometimes it is and when it is it's done really well mm. which might be I'm inviting you in inviting you in for a meeting to find out what you're up to now and to introduce myself as a new member of staff um, but I think that's really key that yeah. the organisation needs to hold what artists they've supported and how the sort of work and yeah for it to be accessible to all the staff yeah. and not just one person right okay yeah it'd be great if when somebody takes a new position it's not a question of them throwing out everything in the mm. past and sending the territory for themselves but actually they make a point of meeting everybody that has a relationship with your had a relationship with the organization mm. and then being clear about where they're going from there yeah what about your next uh, Yes, well, it, it ties in with that, actually, in terms of um, the, the call for clarity and transparency from, from venues and programmers about their schedules. So, uh, you know, we book 18 months in advance or just that, that kind of thing, mm. just being really, really clear about that. Also, clarity and transparency about the, who the decision maker is mm-hmm. and what the decision making process is in terms of programming policy, mm. just trying to be as clear as possible so that artists don't have to second guess and don't waste time courting a certain venue if they're mm. never going to get anywhere. Um, it seems obvious, but actually when you look at websites, I think of various um, venues or, or funders, it, sometimes it isn't. They think we all know, but actually we don't, mm. and they could do some work to just make that a bit clearer. Mm-hmm. That seems really interesting to me. Any more? Uh, yeah, my final one was around finding language for your work as an artist. And for me, this sits across not just talking about your work uh, to audiences, but it might be talking about your work to funders and different groups. And that it, that's come up quite a lot, not just in the podcast, but generally uh, hearing organisations and people wanting artists to be able to speak with more accessible language mm. about their work. Mm. And one of the things I, as an independent artist, flag up a lot is as an independent artist who self-produces, yeah. I make my work, I manage my work and all the people in it, I am writing all the information about my work and fundraising, mm. I am my own comms team and artistic mm. team and fundraising team. So dance development houses and venues, you have a wealth of knowledge that you could also support artists with. And Sheila from the Funders podcast pointed out Maybe ask a programmer yeah. to help you describe your work because you might not be, as the artist, the best person to do it. It might be someone else in your team. But to flag up the organisations, you can also assist that. It can't just be left to Great. the artist again to have another job to do. Great. So we could work together a bit more. Brilliant. And for me, that a point I missed out from the audience development section is for me that also sits with audience Uh, knowing who your audiences are that especially national portfolio organizations who have to work with audience finder they hold a lot of information about audience segments and artists don't have access to that so npos could actively find ways of sharing that with their artists Mm. anything else you'd like to add no, I think that's um, that for that, is it? I think we had a couple of little actions, go on with your actions. that came out. Yes, so please, please. one of the big actions, I guess, is around how can artists be supported to um, articulate their work differently? So I think funders and programmers were flagging up that the language you might need to use academically 
and for people with dance expertise mm. is not the same language that you need to use for funders or audiences. They might not be versed in the theoretical aspects you're talking about. Um, so I think for me, that's artists and venues and funders talking to each other about that and helping each other. A call for applications to be made simpler and for funders slash organisations to be upfront about what they're asking for. Um, yeah, I think that was it. Great. Okay. Um, so moving on to our final uh, subheading, I suppose, which is the sector's need to diversify. Um, you know, a massive <laughs> subject um, <laughs> that we can, you know, just scratch the surface of. Mm. But um, I keep having, and I think in the podcast we, we had these um, conversations about how the whole sector needs to be shake, shaken up a little bit, that things need to be changed, that it doesn't it didn't necessarily fit for purpose and maybe it certainly it no longer suits um the circuit so um mm. you know yes we used to have a more traditional more traditional touring circuit but now we're trying to break out of that quite rightly and so um how can the sector diversify in order to um rethink the distribution of power and rethink you know whose voices we're hearing and i wanted to mention I'm, I'm sure there are other very exciting um, initiatives taking place out there but there's one I'm particularly aware of which is led by Sarah Sheed mm -hmm. uh, the producer and it's called Artistic Mutiny UK maybe mm. you've heard of this um, and basically Sarah um, says that she was reading a book uh, about the culture of pirates uh, and she realized that the language she found in this book was really really appropriate to how she feels People ought to be working within the arts sector in a in a um, in perhaps a more strident and vibrant way. So she's opened up a, a sector wide conversation about how else can we approach cultural leadership and the distribution of power, mm. which is really interesting. Of course, it's coming from I guess the viewpoint that perhaps we're not as effective and efficient as we could be. Um, and so together, she's she's bringing a group together. There's a Facebook page, Artistic Mutiny UK, so people are still welcome to be part of this conversation, I believe. Um, and they're asking questions about hierarchy, mm. about the diversification of power, and about structure, how structures, how else structures could work, um, and asking people to think about what change could and should look like. There's all sorts of ideas there. I, I can't mm. speak for them. It's just a really, really interesting conversation. But I did talk to Sarah. And one thing that she said that really chimed with me that I've talked about with Southeast Dance, actually, is the notion that cultural organisations could and should be opened up to reflective response, response systems in the same way that artists are asked to. Mm. Asked to. Um, so, for example, organisations, venues, uh, dance development agencies, etc., could... Uh, invite us to sharings where they get to where we get to feedback on how they're doing during a process or mm. during a project just as an artist would uh, and it, in the same way it would need to be facilitated and it would need to come from a good place but nevertheless it's opening up the the sort of thinking corridors and do they all have artist mentors or artists on their panels um or boards or do they have reverse mentors and are they having frank and facilitated conversations with their stakeholders mm -hmm. um i think we the, the conversation needs to be opened up and those people who have salaries um 
you know could do could do a lot to help diversification in terms of changing the voices that they hear mm. so for me that's just one example but a really interesting example of our way of shaking up the sector a little bit mm. and I'd like to just add to that that for me personally one of the things I find really interesting is that uh, look um, my basic observation mm. of arts organizations and mainly dance ones is that they're usually run in a very normal hierarchical system and I'm just really intrigued to know how much of that is conscious and how much of it is a oh yeah that's what we do let's just carry on that way yeah. as opposed to yeah. what other models are there and do those fit us better yeah I might say that that's dramaturgy oh, dramaturgy nice. of organizations in terms of thinking about you know, being mindful, being reflective, this is how we're doing it, is this the right way to do it? Mm. Can we get input as, into, as to other ways of doing it and how shall we move forwards from here? Yeah. I might say that. Nice. Um, so your, any points from you? Um, one of the points that came up for me that John from Jerwood made in mm. the Funders podcast is that they are now, as funders, asking artists to sit on their panel right. for yeah. decision-making, which I think is excellent. Yeah. And there's another Scottish-based artist um, called Emma Jane Park. I think it's Park rather than Parker. Mm. Sorry, Emma Jane. <laughs> How rude of me. Um, but she is uh, also known as Cultured, Mong- Cultured Mongrel oh, yeah. on okay, Twitter. Yeah. And she asks a lot of questions, which I love. And she has brought up before the idea of saying, artists have a lot of expertise. Pay them mm. to be part of your decision-making process. Mm because also you're helping them learn about what happens and how decisions are made and what is needed to write a good application because they're having to read mm. loads of them. And for that reason, I think it's brilliant that Joe are doing that and also to bring into a more up-to-date issue, which is around um, the recent Bonnie Bird Choreography Fund mm. Award and that, that two of the artists receiving that award have made a public statement about the fact that the awardees and the panel were all white mm. and saying we this needs to change people have been asking for it to change for a long time but still it is not changing for me those questions around who is making a decision and how needs to be interrogated much more yeah. and we all need to be quicker at actioning really actioning and i know you we've both read the uh, joint yeah. statement from janine harrington and grace nickel about uh, about that, their response yeah. to this which i think was beautifully written and uh, re- really was able to articulate their own uncertainty and their own endeavor within mm. this to try to you know do the right thing to try to 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 um evolve the sector at the same mm. time as being part of it, at the same time as being really excited to run an award. Mm. Uh, yeah, it was a really, I found it a really moving mm. um, statement that, that, that did a great job of um, embodying the continuing complexity of all of this conversation. Mm. But the ultimate point is uh, not enough is happening. It's, we've just got to do more. Yeah. It, you know, yeah. And most of us have biases. A lot of them are unconscious. Yeah. But we need to actively work on that yeah. as opposed to just acknowledging it and yeah, hoping absolutely. it will be better yeah action again isn't it yeah 
um, which ties in actually with something that Grace Okereke said in the producer podcast, which I was which I was taken by, which is she talked about how uh, we we need there to be a, a variety of ethoses, if that's mm. the plural of the word ethos, within and between organisations, um, which we don't necessarily have. Mm. So it can it can look all a bit samey, I think, out there because, of course, unless there is that variety there's no hope of us diversifying the art mm. form or audiences or you know going forwards the the the, the nature of the work and um who gets you know, to make it and who gets yes. to make it and who gets to see it and so on so you know i think a regret i have is that perhaps we didn't talk about this enough in the podcast actually but i think yeah i mean it's it's a conversation it's an enormous conversation that simply has to keep happening mm. and um yeah, we must all keep learning, I think, and keep doing what mm. we can. And out of that, we don't necessarily have actions, yeah. but we've realised there are, I guess, things that can become future discussion points for us to take up and for other people to take up. Um, so I'm just going to talk us through those. Great. So there is the question of how to break down barriers that are in place quite, and we spoke specifically in the podcast the barriers in place for applying for funding because having to fill in a form whether that's online or a video is still a barrier so people are aware that there are still barriers to making work how can we break those down um there was the notion of how can funders and organizations address a lack of producer support in the sector um and for me, this fits into this section because if there's only a small amount of one mm. group of people working, it is not diverse yeah. and they're all, their workload is then ridiculous. Um, how can And along the same lines, how can organisations support the burnout slash high turnover of independent people within the sector? So that's producers and artists mm. and others. Um a request for funders and programmers to be transparent about who your opportunity is for so people aren't wasting time writing applications. Um, something that really uh, resonates with me is how can we support the training and upskilling of the independent sector? For me, that links distinctly to the distribution of power yeah. and as uh, Siobhan Davis has just done in her recent call out of her stepping down as artistic director, she has made it really clear that yes, you need experience in kind of leadership of organisations, but you can be an artistic director yeah. of work and step, step into that role. She was really clear about who could be part of coming into the new position. Right. Um, and also one of the things that cropped up is how can we address unpaid labour? Because mm -hmm. that also really affects who can be part of the sector. Yeah. And the final one for me is for everyone to ask, who is making the decisions here and how are they making them? Great, great. Just on the unpaid thing, it was interesting, I think, what John Opie from Joe had said about them becoming aware how much unpaid work it took to apply to Joe. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Which, you know, we know, but it's nice to hear it being acknowledged. And it made me think, I wish there was like, you know, that people can just express interest and that if an organisation says, 
yes, okay, you can apply for this funding, funding and we'll now pay you 100 quid to do so, mm. so that you don't go past a certain point, and oh, well, it was 100 pounds, whatever, but, you know, as an acknowledgement of the time it takes, like applying for funding is a privilege. Mm. Being an independent artist is a privilege if you don't have that, you know, the network mm. support to fall back mm. on financially. Um, it would also be interesting to see what organisations would look like if more of them gave a salary to artists. Yeah. Maybe to do some of the jobs, but also maybe to just be an artist. Because yeah. then, as an artist, you are working in the same way that other members of staff do, which is you are paid to write an application, you are paid to do this consultation. Yeah. I think there are, um, now I don't really know what I'm talking about, but there are <laughs> schemes like this in Belgium, aren't there, that if you become a registered artist, you get a certain salary or, or benefit, let's say, right. um, and that you are acknowledged as contributing to society and the way in which you then go on to do that mm. um, is up to you but you have a certain status and a certain value financially and morally I suppose as well mm. okay are we there yes I think we're right well um, thank you so much for chewing over all of that a little game of ping pong clearly there are no answers but I think it's really exciting that um, there are lots of questions <laughs> and that um, it, perhaps if perhaps if this is about anything, it, it feels to me that, you know, where there is honesty, there is hope, I suppose. And that the more we can have conversations, especially you and I, Jenny, <laughs> not especially you and I, um, but the more people can talk and the more honest they can be and the more responsibility they can take. And as Sheila talked, Sheila Creevy talked um, about co-responsibility, mm. I think we can just all, you know, continue to step up and you know try to make change and try to make the sector be what the art form deserves I suppose mm. something like that mm. so here's two interesting conversations yes. and here's to progress and here's to hoping we get to do this again one day excellent thank Thanks. you that's it for this episode of the culture chain we'd love to hear your thoughts on all we've discussed please find us on facebook instagram and twitter at southeast dance thanks for listening